You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Micah. I'm the worship pastor here at the North Canton Chapel. And as always, it is a pleasure to be with you in this space. It's a pleasure to continue to lead us in worship through the teaching of God's Word this morning. And so that's what we're going to do today. Last week, we wrapped up what we had just an incredible weekend of fun and excitement and focusing on Jesus and Amplify Winter Weekend. And so we had our student ministry just Absolutely exhausted after the end of that weekend, uh, but they had an incredible time. We had BBC here. It was a good, good Sunday last Sunday. And Scott Price talked to us about the importance of imparting our faith to the next generation. And it was a beautiful thing to see our students going after Jesus in that way together. And so today we're going to begin, like Larry said, a brand new series in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, but before we depart from Amplify, uh, I want to give us a little bit of a challenge, if I could. Uh, so this past week, our creative director, Miles Quibido, in our, our staff meeting uh, on Monday morning, he asked a couple of questions, and they really stuck with me. Uh, they stuck with me in a way that I didn't think they would. And so I'm going to ask you to participate with me a little bit, if you will, just by raise of hand, if you're willing. Uh, if you are a Christian in this room... And you came to faith between the ages of 15 and 25. Would you raise your hand? Okay, so a good number of us. Okay. If that is you, was the person who led you to Christ older than the ages 15 to 25? If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, so again, a good number of us as well. So as we think about these things... NCC, if I could call us as a local church, uh, if the only time we rally around, if the only time we embrace the student ministry, the family ministry of our church happens on a single weekend once a year, it would be a remarkable tragedy. I would dare say that it would be sinful of us. Scott Price said at Amplify, and it's very true, our students are not the church of tomorrow, they are the church of today. They are part of our local body of Christ. They are not a loud and rowdy crew that we send up the ramp to get away with them. They are passionate, unhindered, emboldened gospel proclaimers that need the next generations. They need older generations to pour into them and invest in them, to encourage them and disciple them in the ways of Jesus. And so the long and short of it is, church, they need us. They need you. So some of you, you've been on the fence about serving. Hop into student ministry. Some of you have been wondering where you can connect. You've been going, man, I've been here for a little bit. How do I grow? How to connect? Go talk to Alex and Roger and find if there is a way for you to connect in student ministry. Because if you have a heart to help students see Jesus rightly and respond to them accordingly, which biblically should be all of us, then you need to hop in. Okay, so I know we're intro, and I know we're just doing this little thing today, but we can clap because we like watching students worship. We can smile and enjoy watching their energy, but if we don't just frankly 
get our butts out of the seats and up the ramp and help them see Jesus rightly, then we are failing. Let it not be so with us, church. Okay? All right. So, like I said, we're starting a new series. So maybe that was too heavy of an intro, but if it's hitting you in the heart, move your body. Okay? All right. Starting a new series, and we're going to wrestle through some very real questions in the book of Habakkuk, some very real tensions uh, that this prophet walks through, and some very real things that we face in the year 2023. We're going to look at what it means to hold tightly to our faith while still having questions about God and about God's ways. We're going to look at the injustice of our world and examine God's role in all of that. We're going to look at what it means to lament in brokenness over sin. And we're going to look at how God judges sin and how often that judgment begins with us. There's three little chapters in this tiny book. It's probably three pages in your Bible. And they carry a lot of weight. A whole lot. And so here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Just encourage you. Over the next couple of weeks, this will take us all the way up to Easter. As we're going through the book of Habakkuk, just take time at least once a week and read the whole book. You could do the whole thing in probably 15 minutes max. But sit down and read it. Digest it. Dig into it. And so my goal for us today, as we begin this series, is to kind of set our heading, if you will, to give us some larger context for the type of literature this is, how it was viewed, and how it should be viewed now. However, the goal of this time is not simply to teach you about this book from a literary or an intellectual standpoint. As we gather as the body of Christ, the goal of all the scriptures is to point us to one unified theme that we'll see the entire way through the scriptures, and that is to point us to our living hope, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Even in this tiny little three-chapter book that kind of gets lost in the Old Testament, we will see that it still points us to Jesus. While we look to Jesus in the New Testament, we cannot understand the New Testament in its fullness without seeing the richness of the Old Testament. These things work together to tell the same narrative. A narrative of our creation, our fall into sin, our redemption from sin through the suffering that we just sang about, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and our restoration as sons and daughters predestined by adoption by a loving Father. In knowing this, I'd like to present us with two central truths that are going to run us through the book of Habakkuk, specifically this week and then also uh, in the weeks to come. The first is this, God is working to eradicate sin and restore hope. We see this over and over and over again through all the scriptures. We certainly see it in the book of Habakkuk. And the second line is what we're going to hang on for the entire series. God is God, and God is good, no matter what. God is God, and God is good, no matter what. You know, sometimes in our lives and in our world, God chooses to eradicate sin and restore hope through means that we may not understand, through means that we wouldn't choose, and means, quite honestly, that we just don't like. Like, we're just real honest about it. We just don't like it. I think you'll resonate well with Habakkuk, if that's you. 
And just like this tiny little three-chapter prophet, it's my prayer that we would learn to rest in this truth, that God is God and God is good no matter what. Would you say that with me? God is God and God is good no matter what. Now like we believe it. God is God and God is good no matter what. You know, there's many tensions that are going to arise over the next few weeks in our study. We're going to face lots of questions about faith and doubt, about God's sovereignty, about the hardships we face and where God sits in all of that. But truly, to truth, truly understand these tensions and questions, to rightly navigate them, we need to begin with some context. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. I'd invite you to let's read this verse out loud together if we can. This is the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. Let's read that again. This is the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now, believe it or not, that's as far as we're going today. You're going, what are we doing? I'm asking myself the same question a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, Believe it or not, there's a lot here to unpack. There's a lot in this tiny little verse that helps us to understand everything that is going to come after. And if we don't understand the context of what this simple verse sets up and what it says, we can improperly view the rest of this little book. Okay? So, you ready to dive in? I mean, we're going whether you're ready or not. So, it's kind of how it works. So, this is what is. Everything that is about to follow in this book. Okay, so what is this? This, like we just read, is the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. And so questions that you should have are, what is an oracle and what is a prophet? I'm glad you asked, even if you didn't. Let's look at it. Let's start with oracle. An oracle in the Hebrew Masa is a message from God to an individual or a group of people that is usually delivered by a prophet. The word itself comes from this root nasa, which means to raise one's voice, to proclaim. There's a sense of urgency that comes with this, and it literally means to carry a burden. This is like when you so deeply have something, maybe you've, you've discovered something, you're reading it in scripture, and you just can't wait to share it. Or maybe for a non-spiritual example, you've gotten a gift for someone for their birthday and you cannot wait to give it to them. Okay, so take all the happiness and excitement of that gift and then make it kind of sad and a little bit scary because that's typically how the oracles went. It was this burden that they saw that they had to carry, they had to bring forward. However, not all prophetic preaching or writing is called oracle. So what's the deal with this one? Well, oracle is used 18 times in the Old Testament to describe prophetic message. And it's most often, when you see oracle, this is almost always tied to judgment for sin. Okay, so whenever you see oracle, think we are talking about judgment for sin. And specifically, whenever you see oracle, it's almost always named It's not just this general, like, hey, here's a sin that we should maybe all deal with if you kind of think you have it in your heart. It is a, hey, no, Micah, you've sinned this way. And everybody hears it. 
It is a large vocal proclamation. Now, sometimes oracles are presented as a word. We'll see that throughout the scripture. We see it in Nahum, see it in Isaiah, where it's a word given from God to present to the people. Other times this is given to the prophets in a vision where God shows them something that is to come in the future or gives them a vision of how that's going to work. But Habakkuk is different. And it's really strange. Like theologians don't know quite what to do with Habakkuk. Because with Habakkuk, it differs in a couple of ways. First, the oracle, even though it says it's an oracle, it doesn't name who it's for, at least not outright. It doesn't name it right away. And so everyone that would have been hearing this oracle, that would have seen this reading, would have been going, wait, who are we talking about? Because we know that oracle means judgment for sin. And so by this time, the people, when they hear an oracle, they're going, okay, what's coming? Right? What's, gonna, what's about to happen? What hardship are we going to face? But when it's not named, there's a bit of ambiguity that keeps everyone on their toes going, wait, who? Right? Who? Who's on the chopping block is basically the thing that we get here. So the readers are waiting anxiously to see who God's judgment was directed toward. Secondly, unlike much prophetic writing, which is written as monologue, where it's something that is given for the prophet to proclaim, Habakkuk is presented as dialogue. It's presented in a way where Habakkuk has seen this vision from God in which he and, him, he and God have a dialogue back and forth. The oracle that the Habakkuk prophet saw is presented as a dialogue between the prophet himself and God. And so a burden of future judgment from God for sin is something that is seen specifically over and over again in a way that Habakkuk is part of this. We don't just see him proclaiming something, but it's something deeply personal and deeply felt by the prophet. And so as we dive into this dialogue in the coming weeks, we're going to see a couple things. We're going to see Habakkuk's burden of future judgment from, of, for sin. We're going to see him question God in a way that for many of us, if we said it outright, we maybe would feel a little uncomfortable. We're going to see him accusing God. God, where are you? What are you doing? Or rather, why are you doing nothing? The way that Habakkuk speaks to God in this dialogue, for many of us, we go, oh, hold on. Like someone says that kind of stuff, we all get real nervous. You can't talk to God that way. Habakkuk's going to show us that there is a way to hold tight to our faith while still having legitimate questions for God about what he is doing in the world and what he's doing in our lives. And we're going to consistently see those same truths that God is working to eradicate sin and restore hope and that God is God and God is good no matter what. Now, the oracle was seen by Habakkuk the prophet. What is a prophet? So a prophet in the Hebrew is Nabi, also translated as spokesman or speaker. And we see it in scripture as a person holding the office of prophet was a messenger from God to his people. And these are important. 
with a specific message for a specific time with a specific purpose. Okay, so this is not just, hey, I think this might happen. If I had to guess, this is how it's going to go. No. It was a messenger from God to his people with a specific message for a specific time and a specific purpose. The prophets were messengers God used in the Old Testament to typically point out sin within the people of God and to prophesy a future judgment of sin and to present a future hope. And that future hope is either due to their repentance from sin or due to God's restorative work after the judgment has come. There's many prophets where it'll say, this is what is going to happen and you're not going to like it. Your nation is going to be enslaved. You're going to go into into slavery in Babylon. All these things are going to happen. And then God is going to restore. And then God will make all things new. Not before the hardship happens. Now there is, however, a difference. And we need to talk about it. There's a difference between Old Testament prophets and then the New Testament gift from the Holy Spirit for the church of prophecy. Now, we all get a little bit wary, at least I do. Maybe I'm imposing that on all of you. Uh, But we get a little wary about talking about prophecy in church. Right? Someone says, hey, I have a prophetic word, and we all go, what? (laughs) At least I do. And I believe we get wary because we have far too often seen the gift of prophecy abused and misused against the church. We've seen it used sinfully far too often, and so we just kind of keep it at an arm's length and we don't really talk about it. Maybe we watch too many fantasy movies, and so this idea of prophetic word and oracle just sounds a little bit too Lord of the Rings for us, and so we keep it, like, away. Our view of biblical prophecy is jaded. So I'm going to try to unjade it, if we will, okay? We should look at this and just know what is this. Because there is a difference between Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament gift of prophecy. And we're going to look at that together today. If you would, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 22. This is the Apostle Paul. And he implores us this way. He says, do not extinguish the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but examine all things. Hold fast to what is good. Stay away from every form of evil. Do not extinguish the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. So let's not lean away from something just because it makes us uncomfortable. Again, rather, we should clean our glasses, test it against what is good. Now, how do we test things against what is good? We test it against the Word of God. We test it against Scripture. And prophecy is listed in Scripture as a gift from the Holy Spirit for the church given to some believers. And so when we see this, we see prophecy is this gift. And to say it very simply, in the New Testament and today, prophecy is bringing God's word, the scriptures, bringing the scriptures to bear in a particular situation. 
What does that mean? Bringing the scriptures to bear in a particular situation. This means that prophecy is intimately tied to the truth of scripture, but it involves applying the truth that scripture already presents to a particular person, time, situation. Same as Old Testament prophecy. It's always specific. It's never this just like kind of throw it out there and hope it sticks. This is not throwing spaghetti at a wall. The gift of prophecy is to be exercised by the local body, from within the local body, and for the local body. Why? So that the church can be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. So what does this mean? This means if I am sitting in a coffee shop, and a stranger walks up to me and tells me that they have a word from the Lord for me, I should be a little cautious. Why? Well, aside from stranger danger, um, prophecy can come from other believers. It can come from other believers, but it typically, at least the way that we see it in Scripture, it's always within the local body. It is from Christians in a local body for Christians of that local body for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of that local body. I don't have a relationship with the stranger in the coffee shop. I don't know if they're a believer. I don't know if they had far too many cups of coffee. I know nothing. I have no relationship. And so therefore, I should be very, very cautious. Similarly, if you're watching TV or listening to another preacher online and they tell you they have a prophetic word for you, are they your local pastor? Is it part of your local body? Do you have relationship with them? Can their word be vetted by other mature believers? The answer is no. So therefore, again, cautiously, if not dismissed altogether. Prophecy and its use are outlined for us. The prophecy and its use are outlined for us in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to turn there together. 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read verses 29 and 32 and onward. This isn't a passage about church order, by the way. This is a passage about worship that should take place within the local congregation. And so within the local congregation, it says this. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate what is said. And then jumping down, indeed the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not characterized by disorder, but by peace. So what does this mean? It means that if you believe in your heart that God has given you the gift of prophecy at salvation, that through looking at the scriptures, that through prayer, through the work of the Holy Spirit, as he has impressed a word of prophecy for another member of your local body to build them up in encouragement and encourage them, because prophecy is always for edification, never for defamation. Okay? So if you feel like, man, I just need to go tell that person off in the name of the Lord. No, sorry. That's not how this goes. That is not what this is. Now, can it be confronting sin? It could be, but it's not done in a way that's like, hey man, look at all your junk. It is done to encourage, 
to strengthen and comfort the local body, for the building up of the body. If you feel that God has placed that on your heart, then what do you do? You go with humility and respect to that brother or sister, not alone, but with other discerning brothers and sisters to present what you believe God is speaking to you, how and why, so that you can all test it against Scripture together. It's not a vacuum. This is a gift that happens in the community of the church. And so for us at NCC in 2023, right, prophecy is an active spiritual gift given by the Holy Spirit to some, not to all believers. It is inseparable from the scriptures. It never, prep, it never presents any new revelation. Right? There's nothing that the scriptures say that prophecy enlightens us on in some way that we've never heard it before. That's heresy, not prophecy. There's no hidden truth that's this unique secret thing that only I understand because I have this prophetic thing. Nope. God has given us everything we need to know to understand him and to learn about him in the scriptures. Prophecy only helps bring scripture to the surface and let us see it. And it's never a fresh word from the Lord. Again, this is the fresh word from the Lord. There's nothing new. This is how it is revealed to us. It will never, ever, 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 ever contradict the teachings of Scripture. If someone comes to you again and they say, hey, I've got this prophetic word for you, and it says something different than what Scripture already teaches you, they are a liar. The truth is not in them. We good? Prophecy only comes from believers for believers. What is said should be tested against the scriptures by the person who has received that prophetic word from the Holy Spirit and by other Holy Spirit-filled believers. Prophecy is only used for the encouragement and the building up of the church. And it is always delivered with humility and respect. Now, to illustrate this a little bit, uh, I'd like to share with you just some ways that I have seen this flesh out in my life. Now, for starters, I do not believe that the Holy Spirit has given me the gift of prophecy. Okay, as I examine it in Scripture, that's not something that the Holy Spirit has gifted me with. Um, again, it's for some believers. It's not for all of us. Okay, so if tomorrow we all just decide, hey, I've got the gift of prophecy, we're probably wrong. Um, so it's just a few of us, Okay. But I've been, recipient, I've been the recipient of that gift on a couple of occasions. Um, first, in ways that are unbiblical, and then also in ways that are biblical. So non-biblically, I have had the stranger danger experience from the coffee shop. I have had that moment uh, when the gentleman walked up to me and he said, Hey, I just want to tell you I've got a prophetic word from the Lord for you. And I said, Oh, hi, I'm Micah. Um, and so we, he just walks through and starts sharing this thing with me that he believes God has for me. And I thanked him, and I went on my way, and I forgot all about it. Why? Because, again, I don't know this guy from anyone. He is not part of my local body. He is not accountable to the same elders that I am accountable to. He does not have a way for us to sit down together and vet it against Scripture. Therefore, he is operating, even if it's truly the gift that he has, he is using it unbiblically. 
And any gift from the Holy Spirit used unbiblically is used sinfully, no matter what it is. Similarly, there was a weekend where I was leading worship for a conference and I had an individual come up to me. They said, hey, I just have a word from the Lord for you. I said, okay. And then they said some very hurtful things. Some things that ultimately they just didn't like the way things were going. They didn't like the music. They didn't like the conference. They didn't like the stuff. I'm going, you paid to be here. Why? Are you? What's the deal? And it was just a bunch of hurtful stuff. Again, this is not the way prophecy works. This is someone being grumpy. There's a difference. <laughs> prophecy is never for defamation. It is always for edification. It is always for the building up of the local body. Now, biblically, uh, when I was in college, shortly after becoming a believer, my mom called me one day, and she felt like she needed to read to me Jeremiah 1.5. Okay, so we begin with Scripture. Now, I knew this verse. It was a verse that my mom had read to me over and over again before I was born, literally. Like, she's pregnant, and she is reading this verse over me. Um, but I've recently become a believer, early in college, and she decides, hey, I need to read you this verse, which says, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And then after reading this verse, she said, Micah, you know, I was praying, and I really believe that God wanted me to tell you that you're going to be a pastor. And I thanked her, and I said, Mom, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. There's no way I'm ever going to be a pastor. I was, yeah, right? Skip to the end. I was a music major. At that point, I just had this idea in my head that I wanted to be in a band, touring in a 15-passenger van, eating bad fast food, taking sink showers. Like, for some reason, this felt appealing to me. And this is all I wanted to do. Like, I just wanted to be in a band, tour, do the stuff, write music, do the thing. Pastor was the farthest thing from my mind. The next week, I figured out that I was not doing well in any of my music classes, that despite my tutors and all that thing, it didn't matter that I could hear things by ear. I had to be able to put it on the page in the right order, and that was having some real problems. And so I ended up dropping out of my music major, becoming a religion major, because that was my minor at the time, and God used that conversation with my mom and these moments to put me in a spot where I answered the call to ministry. I took this on a home one summer when I was doing an internship that following summer, and I sat with my pastor and my youth pastor, and I said, guys, can I just talk to you for a second? Because my mom said this crazy thing, and like, she can't be right. And they both looked at me and said, actually, we're trying to figure out how to talk to you about this. And so I have other believers in the local church, believers that I am accountable to, and we take this and we look at it with scripture together, and we confirm hey, this really is something that God is doing in me. Even if at that time I'm going, there's no way. <laughs> it was the farthest thing from my mind. But God used that, and here we are. And then lastly, uh, while serving at my last church, there was a day in which I was impressed upon by God to circle a building and pray. And a lot of things were happening in my life that day, a lot of big decisions that needed to be made by my family in terms of moving and relocation and trying to figure out what are we doing, God, what are you doing? 
And so I called my wife, Kristen, and we began to pray in that situation for God's wisdom and for his guidance on what to do. I'm being intentionally vague. We prayed that he would make it very clear if we were supposed to cut our losses and move uh, to the Worcester area after just purchasing a home in Bolivar just a few weeks before. Or if he was moving in our hearts to follow him in some new direction that was unknown to us. And so we're praying, I'm on the phone, and I finish praying, and I get the phone about to my pocket, and it rings. And a pastor, many of you know, a man named Dan Clancy, called me on the phone. He goes, hey, look, I was praying, and I'm at this church in North Canton called the North Canton Chapel, and we have a pastoral position we're looking to fill. And your name keeps coming up, and I just felt like I had to call you right now. And me, in tears, because he has no idea like what has just been transpiring. He has no idea that I've literally just hung up the phone with my wife, that Dan Clancy was my wife's youth pastor when she was a student here at the North Canton Chapel in middle school and high school. He doesn't know any of this. Dan and I had worked briefly in ministry together before, and he had been praying again and just said, you know, I feel, I gotta, guys, I've got to call Micah. And a little over five and a half years later, here we are. Again, this was something where he goes, I, just, I felt like I had to call you. I felt like we had to walk through this. And so I put it again before pastors and men that I trusted deeply at my last church. And I said, guys, I wasn't looking to do any, what, what do I do <laughs> with this? And it was just a very clear go. Go. Now again, with each of these conversations, each of these what I would call biblically prophetic words, godly men and women that I knew and had relationship with spoke into my life based on what they believed that God was impressing on them to say as they read the scriptures. I took their words, I weighed them with other believers against the scriptures, and they proved true to have meaning in my life. This is the New Testament gift of prophecy at work. And while prophecy in the New Testament and today doesn't have a specific formula, it does have guardrails. Guardrails of testing against scripture and evaluation by other mature believers. But let's just be honest, it can be messy and strange. Right? Like, we all believe in a supernatural God who does supernatural things, but whenever we start to actually see that supernatural work at work, we all kind of go, wait, really? Like, is this, really, God, are you working, you're, you're, okay, you're doing it this way. Good, I thought this was just a weekend thing, but it turns out you're way more involved than I thought you were. But it takes vulnerability and humility on behalf of the presenter and on behalf of the recipient. Because again, prophecy is weighed out by scripture, against scripture, and by other mature believers. When that means that if there's someone who believes they have this gift, and they're operating in all of the right ways, they come to a group of fellow believers, and they start weighing it against scripture, and the answer is, hey, I think you're wrong. They need to receive that and let it go. Right? And so a good way to, if this is you and you're going, you know, I do believe the Holy Spirit has given me the gift of prophecy, a great way to start those conversations is, I think God may be impressing this on my heart. Can we weigh it against Scripture together? Okay? 
And then on the person who's receiving it, they need to receive it with an open heart, discerning well the things of God and the things of the Holy Spirit. So what does all that have to do with a tiny minor prophet in the Old Testament? Well, Habakkuk also has to wrestle with the oracle that he receives from God because he is part of that oracle. And while the oracle will present God's judgment, it will also present God's plan for the eradication of sin, the restoration of hope, in a way that Habakkuk does not like at all. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. But on this side of Habakkuk and on this side of the cross, we know that God's ultimate eradication of sin, his ultimate restoration of hope, came in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The judgment for sin that God proclaims rests solely on the shoulders of Jesus, where he takes all of our sin, places it upon himself, and imputes righteousness to us and restores hope. And Jesus, knowing of the suffering that he would endure on our behalf, he looks at this sin. He looks at how it's going to be eradicated, about the judgment that is to come. He looks at all of it, and he prays to his Father, if there is any other way, may this cup pass from me. In other words, I don't like how this is going to happen. I would prefer this go another way. But then what does he say? Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus didn't look ahead to the cross and say, I like that plan. That sounds good. Sounds like fun. No. While Jesus knew the means were going to be excruciating, he trusted in the will and in the plan of the Father. While he didn't like the judgment to come, he knew that God is God and God is good no matter what. And so he went to the cross anyway. And at the cross, Jesus decimates the sting of death and sin in the grave so that sinners might be saved. So that we might know the love and the grace of God. If you're in this room this morning, do you know him? Is he your Savior and your Lord? If not, as we conclude today by singing, would you respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Would you repent of your sin and believe in the good news of the gospel and ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life? See, Jesus knew the truth about the Father that I pray that we learn over the course of this series as we look at Habakkuk. God is God and God is good no matter what. And because God is God and God is good no matter what, we sing hallelujah. Praise be to God because he reigns and he is in control. Because God is God and God is good no matter what, we can trust him. No matter what comes. 
Because God is God and God is good no matter what, we sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. Because God is God and God is good no matter what, we devote our lives to him and we join with all creation when we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because God is God and God is good no matter what. Would you pray with me? God, help us to rest in this truth, to understand it deeply. God, help us to trust you. In the coming weeks, as we open this book of Habakkuk and we dive farther into this dialogue of what it means to to wrestle with doubt and faith, would you meet us there? God, I pray that you would use this series as one that is healing, as one that gives permission to see you rightly and to respond to you accordingly, even if we don't really think that you're doing it right. God, would you help us to see that you are at work in all things, that you are truly God, and that you are truly good no matter what. We praise you and we worship you now because of that truth. It is in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.